This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate, so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K through 12th grade curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. If you want to bring IXL to your school, you can learn more at IXL.com backslash B-E. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, activity periods, RTI, therapy, and teacher appointments, and much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and you're listening to the DeFacto Leaders Podcast on the Bee Podcast Network, where I help pediatric therapists and educators become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. With over 15 years of experience supporting school-age kids with diverse learning needs, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians, teachers, and aspiring school leaders feel more confident in the way they serve their students and clients. I'll cover a range of topics designed to help you support students' emotional and academic growth and set kids up for success in adulthood, including how to support language, literacy, executive functioning, as well as how to help IEP teams working together to support kids across the day. Whether you want to learn more effective strategies for your therapy sessions or classroom, be a more influential leader on your team, or find creative ways to use your skills to advance in your career, I've got you covered. Hey there, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 135 of the DeFacto Leaders Podcast. If you want to learn how to present information to school boards, administration, or other leadership, or land more speaking engagements, you won't want to miss this episode. Reading the room is an essential life skill, whether we're talking about a child navigating recess or an adult trying to navigate the workplace. For kids, this skill will impact their ability to succeed academically and make friends, For an adult, it not only impacts their relationships, but their ability to get a job, keep the job, and be successful in that job. That's why I invited communication and public speaking expert, Roberta Nadella, to the DeFacto Leaders podcast to talk about how to navigate different cultures, work settings, and be a more effective speaker, presenter, leader, and team member. Roberta hails from the Zulu tribe in South Africa, And throughout her corporate career spanning over 15 years as a transportation economist and manager, she realized that technical skills can only take you so far. She spent 10 years teaching English in South Korea, where she discovered the major role played by culture in the workplace. She came to the U.S. in early 2020, intending to visit a friend, and ended up staying longer due to the pandemic. And that led to her starting the Speaking and Communicating podcast in order to share her professional and cultural experiences with professionals. Currently, Roberta offers support for professionals who want to communicate more effectively with their teams, be more compelling public speakers, 
or work on their networking skills. So if you're doing speaking engagements or looking for ways to network and grow your business or just be more effective in your job, I highly recommend reaching out to her. She's offering a free consultation for DeFacto Leaders listeners, so be sure to listen all the way to the end of the episode where she shares how you can contact her and take advantage of that special bonus. And if you are interested in doing speaking engagements or want to present things to the building leadership, in your your facility, I definitely recommend taking advantage of this. So in this conversation, Roberta shares how she transitioned from working in South Africa to South Korea, including how she grew to understand the culture and attain career success as an English teacher. Some examples of cultural differences in the country she's worked, including the social hierarchy and how it impacts communication, as well as how subject matter experts can communicate with leadership sell their ideas, and present technical information in a more compelling way. Before we get going, I wanted to talk a little bit about the School of Clinical Leadership, my program for related service providers who want to take a leadership role in implementing executive functioning support. The reason that this is called the School of Clinical Leadership is because the program is really about leadership, obviously. So it gives you a roadmap for getting executive functioning support in place in your building. So this includes figuring out what to do when you are providing direct intervention to students, as well as figuring out how to coach and support the other people on your team, like the teachers, the other therapists, even coaching and offering support to the administrators in figuring out what operating procedures need to be in place. So that means that you as a clinician can take on that leadership role and it means that you need to know how to sell your ideas. So that's why this really fits into the theme of the episode of being an effective communicator. So to learn more about the School of Clinical Leadership, so you can learn how to be a leader on your team, then go to drkarendudekbrennan.com backslash clinical leadership. Now, please enjoy this episode with Roberta. Today, I am joined by Roberta Vela. And so thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you for having me, Karen. I'm excited to be here. So before we hit record just now, you were giving me instructions on how to pronounce your name. And so can you, how do you, how do you pronounce it? I'm a South African of Zulu heritage. So I always, you know, am gentle and I forgive people who don't know how to do it because these three syllable, uh, sorry, these three consonants together, they make a bit of a tricky sound. So you take your tongue, you put it at the back of your front teeth just above your gum, you know, just before your gums. And then you blow air on the sides of your mouth. So you say, Mzela. Yeah, I did not have time to learn that in the um, minute that we were. No worries at all. Well, and again, that's not, that's not a, a sound in Western English. So anybody of that culture does, it's not a sound that you would be practicing. For so. sure, for sure. And it's, I think it's only in South Africa as well. Like the other African countries, no matter the language they speak, I've never seen them have that syllable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think it's it's a Zulu and Tosa thing. Yeah. yeah. The ones with the clicks. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, so we could we could take that conversation a whole a whole other way. But let's start off by having you tell us about yourself. So as I said earlier, I'm a South African. My name is Roberta Angela. I'm from the Zulu culture. We have nine African cultures in my country. And I started my first job in 1995 in a, an engineer consulting engineering company. I studied personally transportation, logistics, transportation planning. Um, however, if you know anything about my country, it has a colorful history, which sometimes we call apartheid. It ended in 94. So the year after apartheid ended is when I started my corporate career and I was there for about 15 years. I've spent the last decade teaching English in South Korea 
and I came to the U.S. where I am now at the beginning of the pandemic. So I've I've lived in different culture. Yeah. Mm. So many conversations to have there. We just finished recording when, me being on your show, talking about things like situational awareness and reading the room when you come into a new work setting. So I imagine you had to think about that a lot going from your South Africa to South Korea to the United States. And I know that that's a lot of the work that you do now with communication and speaking. Can you tell me a little right. bit about your podcast? Yes. Um, before I do, may I quote an example of situational awareness? Yes, please do. This is a good one. Um, I arrive in South Korea. So I'm from South Africa. And a lot of the time we have Western influences on how we treat, you know, male versus female relationship, male, female relationships, for mm -hmm. instance, um, you know, the, the male will open my door, or if something is heavy, he will pick it up. I don't touch anything. Mm -hmm. Right. So with that mentality, I moved to South Korea, our English center where the kids used to call to come afterwards. So we teach them English after their Korean schooling was on the third floor. If you count ground as first floor, they say they used to say ground is first floor, second, and then we we were right at the top of the school. One day it was announced that they would they had this huge vase flower with, with flowers that we needed to bring to our English center. So the Korean teacher would always tell us what the office says, and then we do that. She was our mediator, our, our our communication specialist in that regard. So she comes and she says. Um, English teachers, please come downstairs. We need to. I arrive there and I say, no way are they expecting us to take these huge vases of. <laughs> what was it? The first thing I asked was, aren't the male teachers gonna pick that up for us? And she how, says, how no. heavy were they? <laughs> how do I describe this? Um, you know, they are these ones. They literally sit on the floor if you put them in the room. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they're not the ones you put on the table. On the, right. No, so no, no. Really big they, ones. The big ones. And they, 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 are, they are big. And they had sand mm -hmm. also. In so addition probably to really just, awkward to pick up in addition to being heavy. Heavy, awkward. And, you know, the, the, the stone itself is heavy. The yeah. sand. And the width was about half the size of this table. Huge. And she said, no, we're supposed to do that. I said, in, when she said to me in Korea, we pick this up, <laughs> I knew that I either have to adjust my attitude and remember that nobody asked me to be here. Mm -hmm. I said I wanted this job. So I need to adjust my attitude, do things the way they are done here. I'm not in South Africa anymore where we say, oh, no, the guys must come and pick up the heavy stuff. That was within the first month of me being there. And that's why I lasted 10 years because I knew it's my attitude that needed to adjust. Mm -hmm. Yes. And um, the second part of your question. Yes. You, you asked about the podcast. So when I came to America, I said to myself, so I have this corporate experience where I noticed some things which we're going to talk about. And I also have now this adaptability, flexibility, change your attitude experience from South Korea. And when I saw the the patterns, the and I said, this is soft skills. Let me talk about this. And let me talk about how not only does it make your life easier, but that's how you get promoted, which is what I noticed in my first, in the first part of my career, which is the mm -hmm. corporate career, which we're going to talk a, a lot more about that. So that's what the speaking and communicating podcast mainly focuses on which is you don't get taught this at university. They just teach you the technical skill to do your job. Mm -hmm. But the people skills are what will get you climbing the ladder because you're going to manage more people and do less of the technical work you learned at university. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's so interesting how th there's just a theme from early education all the way through higher ed where it's, the things that are often debated in K-12 education is, okay, so we're really focused on reading and math and content areas and academic skills and testing. But what about these other people skills that are going to help kids to learn how to socialize or learn how to be prepared for these other life skills for after high school? And then 
it's the same conversation in higher ed where it's we're learning all these you know the the subject matter expertise and we're learning these specific disciplines and how to get a good grade on tests but then these professional skills these communication skills that are actually going to help you network and get jobs but then also get promoted and be successful when you're in there working on a team mm. if you think about it do you call the class leader here or you call it a prefect? Back home, we call it a prefect. We don't call it that here. Um, do you mean like at what, what the level class leader. of education? It, usually it's in high school where you have, is it the class president? Um, somebody who, who's, who's like the mediator between the class and the teacher. Um, well, they do have... You mean like a like a staff member or a student? No, a student who will be, hey, the teacher said this, so we need to do that. Sometimes they don't even do that, but they they have done things like class president. Sometimes they have student council. So it honestly completely depends on the community and the district. Um, mm-hmm. Some districts, especially if there are districts that don't have a lot of resources, wouldn't have any of that. Um, I would say that some, if it's, you know, in more of a, an area that has a lot of resources may have certain opportunities like that um, student council, class president. Um, right. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, sometimes it depends on the teachers. They might be like, this is our leader for the week. And this is sometimes they'll do that. And it's like a, a special, a special opportunity that students get to have. But it's mm. it's very dependent on where you are and what what the teacher wants to do. Right. Yes. Back home, we call them prefects. And Okay, I like teachers who do that, which is take turns. Yeah. But I have found looking back over the years, those who were chosen as prefects and voted in as class prefects or class president, they they were usually the more confident students, mm-hmm. not shy at all. They're able to stand in front of the class when they do the oral exams, even and present their mm-hmm. book on the literature. Yes, they usually tend to be picked they were not necessarily the smartest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's how, what I noticed when I got to the corporate environment, which was, my boss is not the necessarily the smartest engineer here, but he's willing to engage us. He's willing to engage. Like I said, my country was changing. So politicians, they, they always require meetings. I don't know when they think we get our work done, but they always want meetings. And he was patient with them and built relationships. At first, you have engineering companies beating for government contracts. But there comes a time, if you've built a good enough relationship with that government minister in his department, usually it was transportation with us or the roads, engineering and whatnot, he will actually call my boss directly and say, I want to give your company this job because I like working with you. Not because we were the best Mm -hmm. or our engineering is better than another big company just like ours, but when you are able to build relationships, when you are able to have those interpersonal skills, things start to come to you. Yeah, And, and that is a really important message for people to hear because when you're working in education and healthcare, there is so much red tape. And a lot of times it's, we got to go through the process. And maybe you do have to go through the process and fill out the application if you're, or whatever the steps are to getting that government contract in, in the situation that you're saying. But if you have that relationship, even though you might have to go through the steps, it gives you that that leverage that you might not have had before. Mm. It certainly does. Yes, because, you know, when you fill out a, <laughs> a, a government contract and there's so much that you fill out and the attachments and the documents you must. Yes, there's so much in that. But when you have that relationship and, and here's the thing about it, like I said, I, I sometimes lose patience with politicians because I feel like there's so much work to do and they just, you know sit in parliament which you guys call congress sit in parliament doing nothing and that's why they're wasting our time here with this day-long workshop when we should Mm -hmm. be working but being patient to that extent i think sometimes if you're a leader of an organization it's i don't know whether it's the thing of who butters my bread (laughs) i don't think my (laughs) you know what i mean because i remember one time my boss we were driving back from a meeting and he said to me you know what Roberta? When I 
studied engineering. All I did was, I did it because I, all I wanted to do was sit on my desk, do my job and talk to no one. And now all I do is meetings and consultations and talking to people all the time. But the willingness to do that was the reason he got promoted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that concept of I'm a subject matter expert, I have this specific skill and I want to put my head down and do it. But then there's all these other parts of my job. I mean, I think that applies to so many different fields. I mean, a lot of people listening, I mean, like there, whether it's a clinical field, whether it it's engineering or, you know, whether you're a developer or something like that, um, it really does make you stand out if you have the ability to interact well on a team. And it can also be, you know, a detriment. I mean, you might be amazing at what you do, but people don't know it if you can't communicate well on a team. That's right. If your brilliance is hiding on this computer, how is that going to be benefit you or the other people who should benefit from it? Um, and, and speaking of that point that you made about speaking up about your brilliance, as I said, so my country was changing. So you had a lot of these new graduates entering these fields. And when you go to a project meeting, you also have other companies who, whether you join venture with them, whether you subcontracted some of the work to them, because, you know, multi-million dollar projects always have different parts to them. If you don't speak up, nobody remembers you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you speak up and especially talk about the work you do, your subject matter expertise, and now you explain it very well for people in the room, you will always, a few weeks down the line, get a phone call saying, Roberto, we really like you. Can we offer you three times your package? What do you, you know, you like I said, things come to you when you have that, I'm just not going to be brilliant and be quiet and sit on my cubicle but I will be able to communicate that this is what I'm good at and be able to have the communication skills to interact with other people or not just a work level, but a personal level. Yeah. So I have a bunch of different things that, that I'd love to ask about. So there's, there's two things here. There's the ability to come into a situation, realize that it's very different culturally, whether it be just company culture or whether it be, you know, again, you're you're in a completely different country and you have to understand how things work here and how to work on this team, how to figure out how to do that and, and navigate that situation. I'd love to get into that, but then also talking about how to speak up when you're on that team. So you gave a, a, one example of, of just picking up the the big the pots and and realizing that wow things are different here and how that served you well to have that attitude of I need to figure out like like how do things work here how like how do I pay attention so what advice do you have to people who are in a situation like that trying to figure out how to how to be successful. Mm. First of all, I always say, especially when I quote that example, if you know your reasons why or whatever your goal is that got you there in the first place, that got you taking the action to want to be there. I wanted to be in South Korea and experience a different culture because the person who suggested it to me is actually a Korean friend who was born in South Africa, which a lot of Korean people don't believe in. In Africa? <laughs> Korean I'm like yeah she was born there <laughs> she has two homes uh, both in both countries so when you understand your why and why you want to be there secondly I have when when I think about that I think about some of the teachers will do what is called a midnight run midnight run means you sign a 12-month contract with each visa you keep renewing it the longer you you want to stay a midnight run means you think, I don't want to do this anymore. And this 12 months is way too long. This place is making me uncomfortable. I want to go back home. And then you just take a flight. You don't tell your school. You don't tell immigration. You don't tell anybody. You mm. just, I'm leaving Korea. This is uncomfortable. I'd rather go back to the States where things are familiar and I know exactly what to do. Mm -hmm. So 
when you are not able to adjust, you will do a midnight run. Now, that's fine if you do a midnight run and you're in South Korea and you go back to your country. But if you're an American and you work for an American company, how many midnight runs are you going to do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You see. So if you know your why you were there, and I'm not saying I don't want pe uh, listeners mistaking this example for saying you must always take bad treatment or it wasn't bad treatment. It's the culture. There's a difference. It's the culture. Just like a workplace is a certain culture of doing things. Quick example. I had a guest who said he worked in Wall Street. He said culture is what you make in the workplace, especially leaders. Culture is what they make and they engage the employees and they say, this is how we're going to do things in this office. In Wall Street, they drop F-bombs every two minutes. It doesn't say it doesn't mean it's the wrong culture. It means that's the culture that gets them worked up with those the stocks, numbers and everything. And therefore, if this is not a culture where you want to be with every two minutes, somebody's dropping F-bombs, there's no way you belong. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, it was a cultural thing. It wasn't a, oh, they're just going to walk all over me and tell me to lift heavy stuff all the time. No, no, that, that's not how that works. But what I'm saying is the benefit of knowing why you are at a certain place and reading the room, situational awareness, and then saying, can I, can I adjust my attitude, my outlook, my perspective, and see this from a more positive and beneficial way because it, it benefited me to be there mm -hmm. that's why I stayed for yeah. almost 10 years I had a great time I made friends my students still talk to me on Facebook the ones who are old enough to have accounts it it was an amazing experience but you learn about yourself if you can have those conversations versus running away yeah I think that's a helpful you know, or another way that I've sometimes framed it is, is it worth it to me? Is this thing that I want to do important enough to me that I'm willing to do these things that might be a little bit different than what I'm used to, or that might make me feel uncomfortable? Um, you know, again, we were talking about neurodiversity and those types of things where there, there might be some things that might be uncomfortable for you or might not be your, your preference, but I think it's, that it, you can't go through life thinking everybody has to adjust to the way that I like to do things. Now you might make a conscious choice that something isn't for you, that a certain environment isn't where you want to be working based on whatever reason, but it's always the, is it worth it to me to do this thing that, you know, or learn how to interact in this environment that is a little bit different than what I'm used to. Mm. As I said, if you know your why you were yeah. there, and also, I mean, it wasn't the first day, so it didn't shock me like that. So yeah. I had experienced some of Korean life and I loved it and I knew I wanted to stay here. So when that incident happened, I, I had to have that inner dialogue, that inner talk with myself and say, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, how do I see this? And it doesn't mean we lift heavy stuff every day. <laughs> it was just that one time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that example because it, it's so tangible. <laughs> what other things, uh, before we move on to talking about the communication, what other things came up in addition to that example, whether it be when you went from, from South Africa to South Korea or even from South Korea to the United States? Like, were there other situations where you had to look around and see what was going on and, and adjust based on, you know, where you came from? Um, in South Africa, so in the 15-year uh, career span, I worked for different companies, obviously. And one of them, I remember this boss, we still talk to this day, actually 2024. Next year will be 20 years that I first started working for him. And he said, wherever we are in the world, we have to meet and celebrate our 20th anniversary <laughs> of working for my company. But... I remember he was the type of boss who would encourage us to come up with initiatives, ideas. And he would say, yes, I'm the CEO, but it doesn't mean I know everything. So I want to know what you guys think. And that's when I really started to just come out of my shell and, and, and really explore that because he created that safety, that psychological safety of I can bring it, it doesn't mean he's going to accept everything I say, but at least I know that he encourages that. 
-hmm. And the more you have ideas, the bigger your bonus is going to be at the end of the financial year. So he really positively reinforced that behavior of always come up with ideas, always think, and whatever you think, you can share it with me and we're going to explore that idea. So to move from that to South Korea has a very different work culture. Uh, the first thing they do when you come there is they will they will say to you, Karen, and think about this in Western context. Yeah. Oh, hi, Karen. Nice to meet you. How old are you? <laughs> what would be your, be your reaction? I mean, I, I would, I'd probably be okay with it, but just being like, okay, that's different. You know, like that's not something you ask. Exactly. Again, I wouldn't be offended by it, but I would just be kind of surprised. <laughs> and I will explain. Sorry, what's that? Some people might be offended, but yeah. Especially us women in Western cultures, remember? Yeah. We don't like being asked how old we are. So the first thing they do, hi, nice to meet you, Karen. How old are you? Let me explain why. That is the very next question that they ask. Okay. In Korea you have two, when you speak Korean, there's two facets to it. You, there's a respectful tone where the most, most of the suffixes are, it's more a respectful tone of the same uh, conversation. And then there's a peer tone, there's a okay. peer vocabulary of the exact same conversation. Mm -hmm. And when they want to know how old you are, they want to determine which vocabulary the world was with you oh, the respect one or the peer one hmm that's interesting so, so if you're over a certain age is it the respect one then like immediately if, if you're older than me i'm immediately switching okay. to respect so for example the hello hello in korea if it's peer if i'm 47 if you are 47 karen then I'm going to say annyeong, I say, uh, sorry, annyeong, just annyeong, mm -hmm. which means it's, it's, it's a, hey, buddy, annyeong, okay? If you are 48 and I'm 47, it's annyeong haseyo, so now the haseyo is the respectful way of saying hello. Hmm. So it's more of a in comparison, the age compared to the person that you're talking to. The age will determine how I address you and what vocabulary I use. Is it the peer tone or the, the respectful one? As Hence, I say, as soon as you're a year older than me, it's all systems go. I need to be respectful. And therefore, that's why. But if you're a Westerner and you go there, and they, especially for women, and the first thing they ask you is how old you are, I imagine how offended you'll be. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would hope that you would just do some research on the culture and know what to expect if you're choosing to go to a different country. But I, there's, I mean, I would imagine there's no way you can prepare yourself for every single thing that's going to come up. No matter how much you read on Google, it's yeah. good to do that. But yeah. no matter how much you read, there comes a time when you just have to be open-minded when you get there. Adjust your attitude a little a little bit and just be a little patient and understand why they do things differently from where you come from and so back to the age thing it's age and then it's seniority hierarchy mm, okay in a korean setting you usually don't challenge your boss remember i told mm. you about my boss who used to give us bonuses yeah. for speaking up in in a korean setting you don't challenge your boss for instance there's a lady who said um so what happens is in Korea, part of your visa is, is to get tested for things like HIV and everything. And she said, in the States, we don't do that. It's health discrimination and everything. Mm -hmm. Great. In the States. I'm not saying it's right or wrong how they do it in Korea, but this is how they do it in Korea. Yeah unfortunately and so you cannot say here's how we do it in my country or you cannot challenge your voice if he said if he says this is what you're going to do to get your visa good to tested you're going to do this and he say no no you don't challenge your boss whether even in a work meeting this example be i don't know how popular it was on this part of the world but in korea it became very popular and they used it as a, a teaching example lesson or whatever it is mm-hmm 
I think it was in San Francisco where a Korean air flight was about to land. Mm. You got the pilot, you got the co-pilot. They are both Korean. I think the pilot was older, the co-pilot being younger. He could see on the dashboard that something was wrong and the pilot needed to adjust that. He wanted to speak up, but he remembered that the pilot is older and he didn't say anything. And the plane almost crashed as they were landing at San Francisco airport. Yeah. I've heard that example a couple of times um, in the context of, um, you know, the, the pilot and the co-pilot. And so what happened was when they went back in Korea and they knew about this. So now they're starting to use that to say, maybe we need to rethink this culture of you cannot change, challenge somebody older. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. that was a huge, oh, okay. My opinion, my South African perspective of opinions uh, is, is unless, you know, I get asked, I, I can't just say, oh, this is how we do. Oh, this is what I want to know. I wanted to take a quick break here and talk about the School of Clinical Leadership. In this episode, we're getting pretty meta. So we are really talking about how to read the room, which goes along with situational awareness, which is a social executive functioning skill. So in the School of Clinical Leadership, what I'm doing is I'm giving you a framework and I'm giving you the tools to be able to support your students in building those skills so that they can learn how to navigate the academic environment successfully, but not just that, to learn how to use those skills to improve their friendships, build relationships, as well as build those skills that they need in order to do some of those functional day-to-day -day things. In this episode, we're talking a lot about how you can build those skills in yourself, but we also need to think about how we would support students in doing this as well. In the School of Clinical Leadership, I show you how to do this. So as I said before, it is very meta. What you need to do in order to make sure the right systems and supports are in place for your students is first, figure out how you're going to support your students in building those skills, but you also have to build those skills yourself because you have to think about how to get your team on board in making this happen. Because what we're thinking about here is not just what you do in therapy, but also how you can be a coach and a leader for the other people you're supporting on your team. So to learn more about the School of Clinical Leadership, you're gonna to wanna to go to drkarendudekbrandon.com backslash clinical leadership. Now let's get back to the episode. Are there any, that's, that's really interesting because I can just think of so many things that we, the way that we do things in the U.S. and even the things that I talk about on this podcast wouldn't be in line with some of so, so those things, because there's a lot of, you know, Hey, you can be a leader no matter what your job title. And you can make a suggestion to your boss, like, like your, your boss in South Africa wanted right. you to do, because he told you, this is, you know, this is how our team works. And a lot of that wouldn't, wouldn't apply in other other countries or I mean maybe even other work environments as well which and I don't know like what has your experience been since you've come over to the U.S. with that kind of thing um so first of all uh when I came here I was coming on vacation yeah I did not intend to stay so it was I was kind still of loving my Korean life yeah <laughs> um it was the beginning of the pandemic funny enough uh, beginning of 2020 and remember the pandemic started in China and because Korea is right next door so a lot of the cases that were infected were right there mm -hmm. and so I'm flying here to come and visit my friend not even thinking nobody knew this was going to be a global pandemic yeah right? yeah I know those early months <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy, uncertain. We didn't know what was going on. And remember, during my, I first came to South Korea in 2010. I've survived MERS. I've survived SARS, which went even as big as, as COVID. Mm -hmm. So I came here minding my business. I'm on vacation for winter vacation. First of March is the beginning of the new Korean school year. You guys start in September. They start in March. Mm -hmm. My parents in South Africa are watching TV 
and the news says in Korea they have 10,000 cases of this new virus that you just inhale and it kills you. Yeah. <laughs> and they're panicking. My, I remember my dad's voice note, I still have it to this day, where he's like, where are you? We don't want you dying there. I'm like, I'm in America visiting my friend. He's like, just stay there, don't move. This thing is killing people. Why would you go back? And and remember, even flights were being canceled. They yeah. weren't sure whether they should land in Korea. It was just a really crazy time. So I made the decision to say, okay, let, 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 me, let me listen to my dad's wisdom and stay where I am and figure it out. And that's how I started the podcast because I wanted to um, share my knowledge, my experience and how it can help people. And and also because I came here as a visitor, I just said, you know what, whatever I do, I would need to do online. So I haven't had much interaction with corporate America, but through the podcast, I've, I, no, just personally, I have, a, I have quite a number of American friends, but through the podcast as well, and some of them I, I met in Korea, like when I, you know, when you do, you'd, you'd visit America and say, oh, yes in san francisco we used to teach together let me visit you and, and yeah. then they'll invite me yeah so a lot of the states i've been to i've been visiting my friends i used to teach with in south korea or hung out with there but through the podcast i have met american professionals and they talk about these workplace experiences the soft skills the these are the frustrations you experience, or I had an amazing boss and these are the qualities they had, or this is how he, the environment he created in our team. And you can just tell the patterns, you can follow the themes of if people are, research even shows that when people leave, they don't leave for money. Mm-hmm. Most That's not the number one reason people leave jobs. When they do exit interviews, it's because they didn't get along with the boss and the work became unbearable as a result. They may mm-hmm. love what they do, but if the relationship with the boss or the environment is not healthy, people leave. And mm-hmm. you throwing money into the problem no longer solves it anymore. Yeah. Well, and honestly, with teachers and and it's it's not that money's irrelevant and it's not that it's not necessarily the problem with the boss. It's just the whole arrangement. Because a lot of times the boss maybe they don't get along with their boss, but also there might not be, the, their boss might feel like they don't have, they, their boss has a boss too. And so there's like all these different levels of hierarchy. And I think that that sometimes people, even if they have a good relationship with their boss, it's just like the whole setup. So, mm. and that does become a cultural thing as well. So it's, but again, it's really not about the money. Um, so like it is which, about which is important things. like we always say hey at the end of the day <laughs> it's important and we want to get paid but yes even the and and i and we do try to look at it from both sides and not just blame bosses but they also like we were saying university did, didn't train them they get to the job and they say karen you are excellent at what you do we're going to promote you Excellent in my technical skills and promoting me to manage people are two different things. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Um, so I know that before we wrap up, we wanted to talk about the communication skills. And so there's there's the leadership aspect of what is what makes a good boss. But what about somebody who is a subject matter expert and they want to be really seen as a leader on their team? Or they are maybe considering moving up to a leadership position. So maybe they're um, a therapist and they want to be a supervisor or they're a teacher and they want to be a school administrator. So what are those, what is your advice for leveling up in their career? Um, Yes. So the first one, by the way, and we've mentioned this in the past few episodes on my podcast, it's okay to be a subject matter expert and move horizontally Mm. or they 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 will make you this you are the expert because you don't want to manage people some people say listen i genuinely really don't want to manage people that's not who i am and i don't want to do it i just i love my job yeah you you can negotiate with your company to have the same perks package car allowance whatnot company credit card in your 
I just want to focus on my job and just really zoom in on it and be an expert in it. So that option does exist. Don't always feel like if you don't want to speak to anybody that you have to go up the ladder and manage people just because the perks will come with that. We all love perks. We all love more money. But if you do go that route, what I do, first of all, uh, with my clients, you need to first understand yourself. If you understand yourself, you'll be able to understand how you come across. You'll be able to understand your your what you call executive presence. Mm-hmm. You'll be able to understand how you communicate. Self-awareness. When we were talking about, uh, when we were talking on your show, we talk about situational, situational awareness. Self-awareness is yeah. the first thing here. Yeah. You need to know how you come across. For instance, you know the DISC assessment? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. When you understand which, whether you are the D, the I, the S, or the C, let's say, for instance, you're in sales. You will know that if you your potential customer is a different, has a different way of communicating. If you're a dominant one, you're a D, and they are more reserved or introverted, you're not going to come across with this dominant energy. You're going to yeah. mm-hmm. throw them off. And so when you understand yourself, you'll be able to understand others. When you understand how you communicate and come across, you will be able to adjust, be situationally aware, to adjust your communication. You know how we, if you have children, young little ones, if I talk to you, I'm, I'll be standing because we're almost the same height. I'm five two. You look taller. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm shorter. I'm like four eleven. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So we'll be more or less standing because yeah, we're, about... <laughs> we're about the same height, right? Yeah. But if I'm talking to a two-year-old, what do we do when we talk to two-year-olds? You kneel down. You want to be at eye level with them. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you look over them like this, there's usually that dominant adult energy. The adult is telling me what to do and I need to get in line. But if you want to have this conversation where the other person feels like you see them, you heard them and you understand them. You do that. Not what what, what I call nonverbal or, or non-physical yeah. mm-hmm. eye to eye. Yes, because you understand them. And then. When it comes to making presentations, for instance, you know, usually you, you, your boss will say, okay, Karen, come and present to the team. Show us what we're doing in the last week. A lot of people are afraid to make presentations. I had someone who literally, when the boss said, you need to go present to this potential client, they said they wanted to hear our pitch on what we do before they decide to have to sign a contract with us. He literally said, boss, I'm not going to do it. Get somebody else to do it. He pointed at one of his colleagues. He's now in his 40s. He was in his 20s, a fresh graduate. Over the years, he has seen how that colleague who was willing to put himself out there has climbed way faster and had a much more prosperous career than he has. Yeah. He, looking back, hindsight is 2020. He realizes that that's where he disadvantaged, disadvantaged himself. He's a brilliant guy. Yeah. He's a brilliant guy. There's this weird, like, it's, and I don't know, you know, if it does have to do with the setting or just the trends, just in sort of the self-care movement, there's a lot of like, that's, you know, that's not my job, put up boundaries. But I sometimes wonder if we're moving in and too far in the other direction of, you know, sometimes you do, if you want to be seen as somebody who is a leader, if you want to have those relationships and you want to have people take your suggestions, you do have to do those types of things. So like in the education setting, if you want something different to be done in your building, you might have to, it's not, it's different from that example in that there's not a, always a sales transaction happening, but you're selling an idea to somebody and then, you know, maybe they will be putting funding towards it. So it's just the same concept of being willing to put a presentation together and get someone to say yes to something that you think should be done in order to to serve something else. For sure. And here's the thing about, let's use the education example. When I make a presentation, when I'm selling you an idea, I shouldn't come with this 
perspective of how it's going to benefit me. Yeah. If you're, you, you mentioned a couple earlier where he's a retired, retired accountant and now they want to do all the service and help the community. Yeah. If you sell to that person and say, because you want them to donate to the school. So you have now found his juice, his mojo, the thing that gets him excited. Mm-hmm. When you make a presentation, because that's his juice, help him understand how him contributing feeds into that juice, how the kids are going to benefit, because he seems to be a person who wants kids to always be have better tools, better skills, yeah. better this. Mm-hmm. So when you make a presentation, it's less about you and more about the audience, the other people that you want to direct it to. Yeah. Which a lot of people sometimes forget because you know how you obsess over what are they going to think of me? Yes, I know those fears are valid and that's a whole separate conversation. But when you take the focus away from yourself into the people who will be listening, show them how this is for their benefit and why they even spent the time to come and listen to you. Yeah. I mean, and you know what? I think what's so challenging is that sometimes they might care about things that you don't think are important. And maybe that's just because they don't know what you know, or maybe, and you don't know what they know. Like there might be something behind what they care about. Like with, with administrators, for example, there's, there's, you know, all this pressure for, for test scores and school improvement. And then the people who are interacting with kids are saying these test scores don't always make sense for some of my students, but you do have to draw those connections. I know that a lot of the people who are in the ed tech space and they work with school administrators and they're going in saying, you know, here's this curriculum and here's this product. They have specific roles where there's a customer service person that goes in and meets with that curriculum director and is like, here are your school's test scores since you've been using our product. That's what they want to know. They want to know, are all these funds that I'm putting into this program helping the student body? And I think that sometimes when, um, you know, like, I mean, like you said, you have to know what's important to that person. And maybe it's important to you for another reason, but you have to figure out what the common ground is there. Mm, That becomes tricky, yes, because we do want tangibles. We do want to see tangible results of, Okay, all this investment in this cur- curriculum, what does it bring? We do want to see the numbers, the percentages. It helps us package in our minds to conclude and decide whether something has been successful or not. Fully granted. But as you say, if you're a teacher and you are deep in the trenches and you can see how something impacts students, you might have a different perspective on something I'm presenting because you've seen the actual social tangible results yeah of whether this thing helps them or not Mm -hmm. so now the trick becomes how do we meet in the middle yeah what are your recommendations for like let's say that person a who's you know like they're they're presenting something to to the leadership and they're realizing that there's all these other things that are happening as a result of some initiative that's coming from the top and the leader is their brain is over here because you know that's that's their job you know maybe they have to be concerned on about test scores because the school board is you know com- concerned about these types of things but then the teacher or the therapist is over here and they're worried about these other things how do you when somebody is concerned about one thing help them to realize that there's these other things that they need to be concerned about as well. Mm. Which means should the presentation include both perspectives? Yeah. Especially then the question becomes, are they going in the same direction or are they pulling each other? Are they pulling away from each other? Yeah. It's almost like, does this build the case or does it distract from it? If say, for instance, so here, obviously you have hierarchy. Decision makers will be decision makers. Yeah. You know, sometimes, you know, no matter how good (laughs) your pitch is, decision makers will be decision makers. So the first thing you need to think, I think you need to establish, um, it's good one to have historical context Mm -hmm. of what you're presenting, whether 
if it's something you're going to be doing for the first time and you and you suggesting that initiative and putting it forward explain why not having it in the past mm. how it impacted negatively possibly impacted students and you can cite something historical that happened percentages how students have been been impacted and say i think if this is implemented when we look at what happened when it didn't exist, this is how things might improve in this regard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes having historical evidence, whether you, you want to prove that it worked, let's do it again and put more money into it, or it, it, it had a negative result, let's maybe try this anew and I've done my research and there's a school that start that has started implementing this. For instance, I had a guest on my podcast who talks about social emotional learning. He yeah. started it in Massachusetts and now it's being adopted in 22 other states. So they saw the Massachusetts case and they saw the results and they say, hey, maybe we can try this in our state too. So sometimes historical evidence helps because as I said, especially with decision makers they 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 want they want numbers they want tangible results they want to justify to like you said they have a boss too they want to justify to their higher bosses why this should be passed and they should sign off on it mm -hmm. yeah so give them a reason to justify why they should cook because it, it and we always talk about how when you're in the middle management you have people you manage it, but somebody's managing you yep. so you you have these voices yep. <laughs> school administrators they're middle management like the principals and you know all, they all have other people they report to <laughs> exactly but then they have the teachers coming to them and say principal this and that and 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 all these voices are crossing each other and you the in the center of all this mm -hmm. so yes it helps to when when your senior leaders want to pass something, find a way to when they go to their bosses that they're gonna look good by presenting it to them because they yeah. are also worried about themselves. Mm -hmm. People don't always realize that that you know the sometimes the even the job security of management positions is different than people who are subject matter experts. And I know it depends on the organization. And but in um, some. This, this sometimes in government and school districts. Um, I don't know that it's always this way in corporate, but there's certain levels that are protected by unions. And then once you get above a certain level, you have a contract. And if you don't make, if you know, people don't like what you did during your three-year period, they're not going to renew your job and there's not the same job security. And so I think people need to realize that as well when they're talking to their leaders. So imagine the decisions you make when job security is at stake 24/7. Yeah. yeah, I know. I think that's that was that was kind of eye-opening um when I did start to talk to principals and things like that. They were like, "Well, we we move a lot um and there's there's higher turnover because we don't have the same you know, like we're not in the union like the teachers are." Um so mm. I was like, oh, "That's that's true. That's different." Hence, I say yes. Then you're not gonna authentically be in a position where you can have initiatives and 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 ideas authentically from what you truly believe. You know that it's the right thing to do because you you need to constantly check how when you send out the filter how it's gonna come back and and impact your job security and in three years what's gonna happen to me. You know we yeah. have responsibilities, so nobody wants to risk their livelihoods like that so that makes it very tricky it does again yeah. this is this is all the um perspective taking and situational awareness <laughs> that we've been talking about <laughs> exactly so i know that we could keep going um but you have so many different good resources for working on your communication skills working on your public speaking skills um as well as just navigating your career i just listened to a great episode on job searching on your podcast. So tell us where people can connect with you and learn more about your work and what you do. Thank you so much, Karen. So firstly, if anybody's listening to this episode, my free gift is a one hour call on, so you can DM my Instagram. It's 
all small letters, no spaces, no hyphens, nothing. Coach and speaker. Instagram handle. Coach and speaker, all one word, all small letters. Mm -hmm. And when you DM me, you must write Defecto Leaders Podcast. Then I'll okay. know that it's you and you qualify for a free okay. call with me. Awesome. So people who are interested in doing speaking engagements, if that's something where you're speaking at conferences, this would be a great resource for you. Yes. And if you write Defecto Leaders Podcast, I know you came from here. So you came from for the free call. Okay. Okay. So DM great. me on Instagram. And then my podcast is the Speaking and Communicating Podcast. We post both YouTube videos and the audio versions on Apple, Spotify, and all your streaming, all your streaming sites. Mm -hmm. Great. All right. Well, we'll link to all those. And thank you for that gift. That's, that is a really, you should definitely take advantage of that if you're listening and you are doing speaking engagements. For sure. For absolutely. I have a friend who she is an, an IOP industrial organizational psychologist and obviously she knew her material, but she wanted to know how do I introduce myself? And it, it was going to be a Zoom speech. How do I get excited while on a screen? And how do I, you know, strong conclusion? And what, what do I tell them to go do? How do I inspire them? And sometimes, obviously, you know your content. I just help you package it in a way that makes that wows the audience as well. Yeah. So this could be useful for um, especially people who have a private practice and they're trying to grow it and they want to, they're going to networking events and you have to be explaining to different parent groups or community organizations about what you do. This would probably be another good resources for that as well. Absolutely. I do work with women entrepreneurs who they know what they are doing and they're experts, like you said. But knowing how to translate that into a language people would not only understand, but be drawn to and say, I want to work with you. Yeah. Yeah. That is something we don't learn in our clinical training. So this is a great, this would be a Take great advantage opportunity. of a call. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you for being here. And we'll link to all of those things in the show notes. My pleasure. Thank you for having me today. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to check the show notes for all of the places that you can go to connect with Roberta, including where you can connect with her on Instagram. Again, her Instagram handle is at coach and speaker. And this is where you're going to want to connect with her to take advantage of that free one hour consult, which is a no brainer for you. If you want to improve your networking skills, learn how to present information to your leadership in a compelling way or get better at public speaking. So send her a message that says de facto leaders to take advantage of that special offer. And be sure to check out the School of Clinical Leadership, my program for related service providers who wanna take a leadership role in implementing executive functioning support on their teams. To learn more about the program, go to drkarendudekbrennan.com backslash clinical leadership. As always, it helps me so much if you rate and review the DeFacto Leaders podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts, and please share this episode with a friend if you found it helpful. If you are interested in being a guest on the show, or if you know someone who would be a great guest on the show, please send me an email at talktome at drkarenspeech.com. I am always interested in connecting with amazing people who are showing leadership skills. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next time.
Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments without just teaching to the test? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com backslash BE to learn how IXL's research-based teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com backslash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE.